All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That is a wonderful truth, isn't it? We just sung it, we just sang it four times, I believe, refrains. I wonder how many times collectively, if, if we were to envision, there's 180 of us here, let's say, how many times collectively over the entirety of our lives has that line been sung? We just sang it, as I said, we just sang it four times, times 180 people, that's 720 times collectively. Yes, I did need a calculator for that. That's, this is the fourth time that we've sung the song this year. Now, I understand that not all 180 of you say we're here all four times, but we've sung the song four times this year. That makes 2,880 collective times. Now, just think if we could just expand that. All the times in your life and our life together over the course, not just gathering the church together in worship services, but in cars or in your kitchen as you've, hum as you've sung that song, how many times have we sung the phrase, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided? That's gotta, I mean, it's got to be a number in the hundreds of thousands, if not in the millions. Now consider of that massive number of times, how often have you considered how often have you consciously given praise to God for his all-sufficient supply of everything that you have needed in your warfare against the devil? I realize there's no way that we could possibly ascribe a concrete number to answer that question, but my guess is that comparatively speaking, it's quite low. I don't think when we sing that hymn, we are celebrating the almighty provision of God in our warfare against the devil, but it is true. And it is that truth that we want to give some consideration together, uh, to give some consideration to in our time together this morning as we look at Ephesians 6, verse 11. Uh, we began a series of sermons last Sunday looking at this paragraph in Ephesians 6 that Kyle uh, just read to us, this call to put on the whole armor of God. And as a reminder, because uh, I know some of you were not here last week and we're early in this series, uh, this exhortation to put on the armor of God to engage in spiritual warfare, uh, I said last week, it's not a, an additional subject matter. It's not a new topic that Paul is bringing in at the end of this letter, but really it is a climactic way of tying together all the themes that Paul has been expounding upon throughout this letter. Uh, so when you walk, as it says in chapter 4, verse 3, when you walk with all humility and gentleness and with patience, bearing with one another in love, when you speak truth with one another, since we are members of one another, chapter 4, verse 25. When you refuse to let the sun go down on your anger, chapter 4, verse 26. When you let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, chapter 4, verse 29. When you give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, chapter 5, verse 20. When you submit to one another out of reverence 
for Christ, chapter 5, verse 21. When you live in all of those ways, you are engaged in a cosmic battle of good and evil. And there are, as you pursue all those ways of righteousness and holiness, there are spiritual forces of wickedness that would seek to oppose you and thwart you from engaging in that pursuit. And therefore, we need strength. We need almighty strength, which is what we considered last Sunday from verse 10, this exhortation and encouragement that Paul gave to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, in his mighty power. And we thought about that in some detail last Sunday. Now this morning, we're looking at verse 11. And and verse 11 answers two questions that would arise naturally from our thinking about verse 10. The two questions are this, and they are the points of our sermon this morning. Why is this strength needed? And how is this strength obtained? Why is this strength needed? Verse 11 says, so that we may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And how is that strength to be obtained? By putting on the whole armor of God. That's our sermon. That's our text this morning. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We need this mighty power of God because we have an adversary in battle. He is called here the devil. Now to think about him And all of his wretched schemes is a subject that is very large. It is far too much for us to be able to handle in one sermon, even a sermon on just a single verse of Scripture. We can only scratch the surface this morning. But we can learn a good bit about him by just thinking about the names uh, or titles that he is referred to. He is here called the devil. That word means slanderer. The devil is a slanderer. He slanders us in his speech to God. We, we thought about that. We heard that in Zechariah 3, accusing the high priest Joshua. He slanders the Lord to us, doesn't he? That's what he did in the very beginning in the Garden of Eden with Eve. God doesn't love you. He's not really out for your good. He knows how good it will be for you to eat this fruit. He doesn't really have your best interest at heart. So he is a slanderer. That name Satan means adversary. He is the accuser of the brothers in Revelation 12.10. Kids, if you happen to have that worship worksheet and you're circling Bible, uh, books of the Bible, you're going to have to listen really carefully here for the next couple of minutes. Maybe mom or dad could could help you because I'm going to give you a lot of books of the Bible here when we talk about how the Bible talks about this enemy, the devil. He's the accuser in Revelation 12. He's called the evil one in Matthew 4. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 19. He is called the tempter, Matthew 4, verse 3. He's called the father of lies and a murderer from the beginning, John 8, 44. He's called the ruler of this world, John 12, 31. Or as it says in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter two, the prince 
of the power of the air. Uh, we know that God is the ruler and he is the sovereign king over all. We sang that earlier, Lord most high, sovereign of all creation, but he is the ruler of the evil world's system. He rules over what Colossians 1 calls that domain of darkness and all the lying and all of the immorality that is propagated in the media or by the entertainment world or by governing authorities. Ultimately, Satan is the ruler and leader of it all. Uh, he is, as our text says, he is engaged in schemes, evil plots and devices. Paul warns in 2 Corinthians 2, he warns the church to not be ignorant of Satan's designs. Uh, we're told in 1 Peter 5 that he prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. He deceives, according to Revelation 12, 9. He ensnares, 2 Timothy 2, 26. He hinders, 1 Thessalonians 2, 18. He harasses, 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Uh, we're told here in Ephesians 6, he has flaming, fiery arrows with which he would shoot at the people of God. He blinds the spiritual eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4.4. He masquerades as an angel of light, seeking to lure and entice even the precious bride of Christ away from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 11. Three, and he has been at this for a really long time. He is called in Revelation 12 that ancient serpent. He has had millennia to sharpen his evil craft. And he's coming, the Bible says, he's coming after you. Put on the whole armor of God, Paul says, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Because if you are asleep in this battle, if you don't put this armor on, he will devour you. That seems to be the clear implication. We do not have a choice of whether we will be engaged in this battle. Uh, Old Testament commentator and Bible scholar named Ian Dugid puts it this way, I think, very well in his little book called The Whole Armor of God. He says, serving in the Lord's army is not an option reserved for those particularly devoted to God. Right? This is not just for pastors or missionaries. He says the choice is not whether you will be a Christian soldier or a Christian civilian, but whether you will be a prepared Christian soldier or an unprepared one. The Apostle Paul would not have you be unprepared, saints. So he urges you, he exhorts you to be alert, to be attentive, to be armored up in order to stand against his devious and malicious schemes. I wonder if it all sounds a little scary to you. There's an evil ruler of the world system. He exists. He's against you. He can do significant harm to you. It is, it is kind of scary, isn't it? But in order to really understand these schemes of the devil, we need to understand how 
how mundane, how everyday and normal these schemes really are. Uh, consider again, I, I alluded to these verses. Let me read them to you in detail so that you can think about how, how tangled together his work is, the devil's work is, how tangled together it is with our own natural bent due to our corrupt desires. Listen to Ephesians 2, uh, verses 2 to 3, where Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Or consider John 8:44. Again, I referred to it a few minutes ago. Speaking to those who were not believing in his word, Jesus said, you are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So this is how the devil schemes. Not through spooky special effects that you might see in a horror movie. Not through, you know, spinning heads around, running, spinning around. Not through seeing visions of dead people walking in the hallways of your house. Not in haunted houses. No, he's working through the propagation of lies and the enticement to deceitful desires. When you see lies... When there are desires that are deceitful, you are seeing the enemy at work. And Paul uses that phrase in Ephesians 4.22 about the old self being corrupted through deceitful desires. And it, it just struck me how, what an odd phrase that is in our culture today. Because, I, I mean, secular psychological health is built on the very premise that there is no such thing as deceitful desires. Right? Desires are the very core and essence of what is real and true according to our world system. We're so confident in the reliability of our desires that we have normalized and we have celebrated changing physical bodies in order to accord with our desires not knowing whether those desires will actually be the same next year or in five years. That's the world that we're living in. And who do you think is behind it? There is one who is behind all deceitful desires. This is how he works. Not about spooky special effects. Now, I know someone's going to come to me afterwards and say, well, what about visions and, and harassment? And I'm not saying there's nothing to be said there. I'm saying his normal steady state way of attacking the saints is not through this kind of spooky special effects. It's in how we think and feel and live and desire and act. Uh, in the words of David Pallison, the real devil is utterly normal. And his role is fully integrated into daily life. Mundane evil is the devil's business. He has desires that he wants us to follow. And he works 
with the naturally evil desires of our flesh to lead us astray, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here's here's a way that I think about this interplay between the devil's scheming and your own desires. I, I got a new computer this past week. I started using a new computer this past week. And it's interesting to see how just in a few days, uh, YouTube is beginning to pick up on my web tendencies and my interests. Now, it's imperfect because on my YouTube page yesterday, there was a sermon from Joel Osteen and a sermon from John MacArthur. (laughs) They're still catching up a little bit, okay? But it was interesting, when I first turned the computer on, there was no Christian, no, no Christian videos. Now I'm seeing Christian sermons and Christian testimonies and a, and a football thing, because I did frankly look at the Penn State football score yesterday. But you see, now how did they know? How did they know? Well, they have eyes, you know. You know if you go on Facebook and you see those ads and they just seem like they're tailor-made for you, like how did they know that I was thinking about that? Because they know. I don't know who exactly they are, but they know. It's uh, somewhat troubling. But it's more troubling to think that this is the way our enemy acts. I don't think the main threat to us in this room is demonic possession in the way that maybe some of you think about it, or again, have seen it portrayed in horror movies. But like a coach, Joe Crispin is thankful for this. Where is Joe in the very back? Because I got it. He's already thinking about the coaching illustrations because he does all the time. Like a coach scouts an opposing team and he watches video to examine their tendencies and then he talks to his team about how to exploit their weaknesses, that is the way the devil is scheming against us. We cannot pin all of the fault on him as if we would just say when we are tempted to sin, the devil made me do it. No, no, he is seizing upon and exploiting our weaknesses. It could look in a variety of ways for a variety of people. For Eve, it looked like a piece of fruit. For David, in 1 Chronicles 21, it looked like uh, taking a census of, of the people so that he could boast and feel good about what a great nation he was overseeing. For you, it could be the insecurity or the discouragement that you have about a particular ministry that you're engaged in, or the awareness of your own weaknesses and failures in parenting. Or the feelings of abandonment that you wrestle, perhaps, as, as you go through a prolonged period of physical infirmity. He may prey upon the, the humility and the tenderness that you have to sin's presence and that war that is going on by, by shaming you, by, by speaking to you of your filth. They'll talk this way. He'll scheme this way. You are so filthy and, and disgusting. I can't believe that you would call yourself a Christian parent the way you just yelled at your children. You think that God is pleased with you? Do you know the damage that you're going to do to your children? He is very good at heaping that condemnation on his people while not holding out the mercy and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Very good at holding out. Uh, 1 John 2, 1, I'm writing to you, brothers, that you might not sin, and he will throw at you all of your dirty garments but he will conveniently overlook that next statement in 1 John 2. If anyone sins, we do have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Oh, he's got all kinds of schemes. I can't possibly dig into all of it. We'll have an occasion to dig into some more of those schemes as we look at the particular pieces of armor. But for now, I just simply want you to wake up and realize there's a battle going on. 
The Apostle Paul is like throwing a bucket of ice-cold water upon our sleepy soul, saying, there is a battle. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We are at war when our hearts deceive us, when our culture misleads us. Satan's desires and malicious purposes are at work. Do you understand that? Are you mindful of that? The Apostle Peter writes, 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Do you understand that is what's happening in the world? Do not be so arrogant. Do not be so smugly self-sufficient as Peter was, who wrote that. Remember, Peter himself boldly declaring, I will never deny you. Even if all these other ones deny you, I would never deny you. He was not that strong, was he? And you are not that strong, and I am not that strong, and we are not that strong as a congregation. And the word of God would not have us be unprepared. Have you considered? Have you considered what temptations you are susceptible to and what harm the devil can do to you? Uh, the, the hymn writer John Newton, we sang one dear beloved hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, but John Newton wrote the hymn, Great, uh, he wrote the hymn, I'm sorry, Amazing Grace. He wrote in a letter called On a Believer's Frames, he wrote this, have you considered what the enemy can do if he is permitted to come in like a flood? In one hour, consider this, beloved. In one hour, he could raise such a storm in your soul as would put you to your wit's end. He could bring such a dark cloud over your mind as would blot out all remembrance of your past comforts or at least prevent you from deriving the least support from them. He could not only fight against your peace, but shake the very foundations of your hope and bring you to question not only our interest in the promises of God, but even to doubt of the most important and fundamental truths upon which your hopes have been built. The devil can do that. We have an invisible, personal being, extremely powerful, extremely intelligent, wicked to the core, deceptive, violent, angry at you because you have sided with the God who he hates with all his heart. And he has an army, verse 12 says, of invisible beings with him mounted against you. Now, if you feel, if you're starting to feel that, you say, could you please move on? I will move on, but I want you to feel the threat. Because if you do, if you have some sense of how vulnerable you are, how weak you are in and of yourself, then you are prepared to give God the most adoring and heartfelt praise that all I have needed. Thy hand hath provided in your warfare against this evil enemy. This, this exhortation in Ephesians 6:11 about withstanding the schemes of the devil, it is very sobering. I have just tried to deliver to you some of the Bible's teaching about our enemy in a way that would 
make you sober, but it's not given to make the people of God scared. It is to, intended to make you vigilant and watchful by getting armored up in the whole armor of God, which he has so graciously and kindly and richly and powerfully provided to all of his people. As, as fierce and malicious, as crafty as our enemy is, we can stand against him. We are expected to stand against him. We have everything we need to stand against him as we put on the whole armor of God. Oh, if we were left to ourselves, what a pitiful flock we would be. Like a single stray sheep just left alone to a pack of wolves. But God would not leave you to yourself in this battle. Oh, nor does he just give us a part of what we need or most of what we need in this warfare. No, he, he will not leave us before all the flaming darts of Satan the way King Ahab was left before the arrow, the stray arrow of that Syrian soldier whose strike penetrated through just a little crevice between the scale armor and the breastplate. Of course, you remember that scene, don't you? It probably not. That was kind of obscure. First Kings chapter 22, verse 34. You can read about it. All armored up and a stray arrow just pierces right between the, the breastplate and the armor. And, and God is telling us through the Apostle Paul, you don't need to fear that's going to happen to you because we have the whole armor of God. And the implication is clearly that this armor is wholly sufficient and perfectly adequate for everything you need in this warfare. He has given us, 2 Peter 1, 3, all things that we need for life and godliness. The Christian is, as a famous book titles it, back in the 17th century, a Puritan wrote a big 1,200. If you think these sermons are, uh, uh, you know, a lot to dig into in just one little paragraph... In the 17th century, a Puritan by the name of William Gurnall wrote a book called The Christian in Complete Armor. 1,200 pages on this passage. And that title is so appropriate. The Christian in Complete Armor. And in this complete armor, in this whole armor of God, we can stand victoriously and triumphantly over the schemes of the devil. That is the particular emphasis of this one Greek word that is translated in our text whole armor. It's one word. It means the complete weaponry that you need to go into combat. The idea is you have all the tools needed to do the job. You are fully outfitted and equipped for your calling to stand firm against the devil's lies. How could it not be since the armor that you are called to put on, and you are called to put it on. We will talk in the weeks to come about our responsibility and what it is that we do to put on this armor. But for now, remember that this armor that is given to you, that you are to put on, it is given by God. And it is not only given by God, but it is actually God's own armor being bestowed upon you. This would be one of those times I should just pause, right? My, my, my tone is because of the urgent love I feel for you. So I know I get loud. I know I get going. But it's because this, this battle is raging right now. We don't want to be like a, like a soldier. Imagine a soldier 
This is not in my notes. Imagine a soldier a few weeks ago, I don't want to get political on you, and I'm not thinking, I don't want you to take it down that road, but think of an of a American soldier in Afghanistan a few weeks ago in the midst of this Taliban takeover at the airport in Kabul. Imagine an American soldier just walking around in a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops, sipping on a margarita, not looking around, no, no gun that he's holding. So what is he doing? Does he know where he is? I don't want you to be unprepared. There's bigger things going on in the world than whether the Eagles are going to get back on track and start the season off well today. And you know I enjoy sports, but there are bigger things going on. Commentators of this passage, they often note that this armor that Paul mentions corresponds to the, the armor that Roman soldiers would have put on and that Paul would have been familiar with that first century Roman gear and that that's where he's getting this image from. Now there are similarities, but I believe Paul's intent is not that our imaginations would be captured uh, by just the gear of a Roman soldier, but actually that he was reminding the Ephesians and he intends to remind us of the prophet Isaiah's vision of God as a warrior king fighting against the enemies of God's people with his own armor in order to vindicate his people. And so as you read through this passage in the coming weeks, as you would, I hope and pray, as you would give yourself to memorizing this passage of scripture in the weeks ahead, because we're going to be spending the next three months here, so you might as well put it to memory. We're not meant to imagine, I don't think, the, the uh, military weaponry of a first century Roman soldier. We're to envision the Lord of hosts himself, the Lord of armies coming in power, coming to make right all that is wrong and deliver his beloved bride from their cruel and hateful enemies. The battle weary. Are you getting weary in the battle? I get weary in the battle. I've been weary in the battle this week as I'm getting ready to preach on the battle. To those battle-weary saints, he gives us courage in reminding us of the spirit-filled Messiah who girded himself with a belt of truth and faithfulness to speak on their behalf, Isaiah 11, verse 5. I'm not going to read all the verses to you because we'll come to them in time. But God's people are to erupt with singing because the Lord is coming with shoes to pronounce gospel peace, Isaiah 52. The Savior, the Messiah, entered into evil's darkness with a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation to deliver his people from oppression, Isaiah 59, verse 17. The servant of the Lord, the servant of Yahweh, whom we now know as the Lord Jesus Christ, he speaks words like a sharp sword, bringing his salvation to the ends of the earth, Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 6. It is to this Savior that King David fled to be shielded by faith during his enemy's attacks, Psalm 18. And on this side of the cross and the empty tomb, we know that all of those messianic promises were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. Whereas the devil had taken his captives and made them his slaves, the Lord Jesus came from heaven to earth to destroy the works 
of the devil. And on the cross, he dealt that ancient serpent filled with all of his malicious temptations and accusations and schemes. He dealt that ancient serpent the mortal wound that is the doorway to salvation for all who believe. Oh, Jesus came, Hebrews 2 tells us. He came since the children, since the people of God share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Oh, he has delivered a people from slavery. All who sin are slaves of sin, Jesus said in John 8. But if the Son sets you free, what did Jesus say? You will be free indeed, truly free, free forever. And he has come that we might be set free. He has delivered us, Colossians 1 said. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. We're not a part of his evil rule anymore, the devil's. He has delivered his people from the dominion or the domain of darkness. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Oh, the devil may seek to lead astray, but the son of God, the Lord Jesus, is leading many sons to glory. The devil may be prowling around looking for someone to devour, but Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. The devil may scheme to do us harm, but the Lord Jesus is constantly plotting how he can pursue us with his goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. This is the salvation that we have through faith in Jesus Christ. If you happen to be here this morning as a visitor, and maybe you haven't put your faith in the Lord Jesus. You might think all oh, this talk is crazy. And I'm simply asking. You may say, I'm so free. I'm living my life. Things are well. I'm fine. You're over the top here with this warnings of danger and slavery. And I would just commend for your consideration that maybe what feels like liberation for you is actually slavery. Maybe it is that you are feeling liberated and free and everything is going well for you. But I would warn you that you may be like a person skydiving, up high in a plane, skydiving. You got that parachute locked in and in those first 30 seconds, you are just loving life. You are full of exhilaration. This is intoxicating and it's like you're, you're heading down and you don't realize that the parachute is broken. And you are about 30 seconds from your death. Oh, that's the devil's playbook. This feels so good. I'm doing just fine. I'm not having any pain. Things are going on. You're, you're crashing towards your death. And yet Jesus came to set captives free. If you would this day confess your sin and your rebellion against this holy God, he would forgive you and he would deliver you from that domain of darkness that you might be brought in to his glorious kingdom. Putting on the armor of God, beloved, is nothing less than putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. He has fought the battle. He has won the victory for us. Now, I, I know some of you are. You're just practically minded thinkers. And you, I got, you're like looking at the clock. It's like he's got about five minutes. And, you know, would you give me something practical? Tell me how to put on the armor. Like, what do I do? 
and I promise you, we will get there. But I, I, I want you today to simply revel in this truth, that unlike armchair generals who watch the fighting from a safe distance, Jesus has himself put on this armor, and he has won the decisive battle against that scheming devil on your behalf. Oh, I just want you to come see. I want you to do what we sang. I want you to come see the cross where love and mercy meet as the Son of God is stricken. And I want you to come and see his foes lying crushed beneath his feet, for the conqueror has risen. I want you to see by faith that stone rolled away and Christ emerging from the grave and that victory march continuing on till the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Every eye and heart will see him. Come see on that cross him casting out the ruler of this world. See him defending and interceding for his overconfident and fickle-hearted apostle Peter, wilting amidst the temptations of Satan's sifting. Do you remember how Jesus prepared Peter for that? In Luke chapter 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. What a glorious redemption that is. Just like the Lord said to, to Satan in Zechariah 3, no, Satan, you will not have. Satan demanded to have Peter, and Jesus said, no, you will not have him. You may harass him. He may stumble, but he is mine. I'm praying for him. He will not fail, and he will turn, and he will strengthen his brothers. And how many of his brothers and yours have been strengthened by those words in 1 Peter 5, that we stand firm against the devil? He is a redeemer, and he didn't just pray for Peter. He prayed for you if you're believing in Jesus. You know what, what, what Paul wrote in Romans 8, if God is for us, who can be against us? Well, the devil is, but the point is he can't successfully be against us. He can't really do us eternal damage. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Well, Satan will try, but it is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Well, Satan is doing all that he can to do that, but Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is, do you know? He's interceding for us. He's praying for you the way he prayed that Peter's faith would not fail. And therefore, you can be sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else will be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, beloved, when you feel harassed, when you feel oppressed, when you feel beaten down, believer, know that he will not take you down. He cannot. Jesus said in John, I, John 10, I gave them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will be able to snatch them out of my hand. He cannot steal and kill and destroy that final inheritance that you will have, that final glory that you will have in Christ. There's work for us to do, beloved.
There is. We're called to put on this armor. That is our calling in Christ. To say no to the devil and his lies. To say no, as we read in Titus 2, to ungodliness and worldly passions. And to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That is our calling. Sin will not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Oh, we are called to put on that armor we are reminded by the very image of armor that there is a battle. We're engaged. It involves blood and sweat and tears. We're to be aware. We are to be mindful. But we are not to be afraid because you are fully equipped, beloved. Believe that. We are called to put on the armor of God. Not because that's what Jesus would do if he found himself in a similar situation, as if it's all about what would Jesus do. No, we're, we're to put on that armor because it's what Jesus has already done. Wearing God's armor all the way to the cross and then rising victoriously over the grave so that this word from Paul in Romans 16 would be true and precious to us. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Paul did not get that pronoun wrong in Romans 16, 20. He said, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet because you are sharing in the triumph of the Messiah. Oh, I pray you'd believe it because they're not gonna, you're not going to hear that this week on CNN. You're not going to hear it this week on Fox News. Does not matter which way you roll, left or right, you will not hear it. But you will hear it in the word of God and you will see it all in the word of God and in the gospel of Christ that even amidst the debauchery of our culture and the apparent little decisive victories that the devil seems to be winning. You will not hear them, but it is the truth that the church of the risen Lord Jesus continues to stand firm amidst conflict and is marching on triumphantly until its full reign in glory is complete at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He is coming quickly. He will soon crush Satan under your feet. Oh, I pray you'd believe it. All I have needed thy hand hath provided. The Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. Love you, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're very easily lulled to sleep. It is very easy for us to be distracted by so many things, many good things, legitimate pleasures and enjoyments that we can have and receive with thanksgiving. Oh, how easily we're distracted though, Father. There is a war that's raging. There is an enemy that's raging. He does not like what we're doing here. He does not like the truth being proclaimed. He is the father of lies. He would seek to do us harm. Would you help us to be awake and alert? Help us to be putting on the Lord Jesus Christ that we might stand firm against him. Help us to not just do that individually, but help us to do that together as a congregation. Fighting not against one another, but fighting together against him, arming ourselves 
with the weapons of righteousness that we might live together to the glory of your name, that we might declare the glory of Jesus to those who are near and to those who are far off. Grant us to withstand his scheming attacks even against our own faith. Help us to look, help us to see him by faith before the throne. We have a great high priest His name is love. He ever pleads for us. May we rest in him and rejoice in him today. We ask all this through Christ. Amen.